0: Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And also, all you out there, Happy Hanukkah, a a great Kwanzaa, a happy New Year. Have a happy Christmas.
1: Yeah, there we go. That too. Yes.
0: So, um, in honor of this splurging of the holidays, we've decided to do a little binge (laughs) ourselves, uh, giving you an all-liquid series of programs for the next two weeks, and some of them you'll find of great interest, and certainly festive.
1: And, and, fir- and first up, we, l- we learned a lot we didn't know about the famous Caribbean spirit rum. Lots and lots of I- interesting information and some new products that certainly belong on your post Beverage, postpanial <laughs> beverage. That's a. that's, that's a, a yeah, I don't even know
0: what it means. <laughs> and and, and,
1: and here's he Ki- he Kiowa with
0: Kiowa Bryant, who knows a whole lot about rum.
1: Welcome to On the Menu Radio, Kiowa Bryant. I, I understand because 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 you told us this that you and your sister have rather unusual mm-hmm. names.
2: Uh, this is this is very accurate. Uh, my sister and I uh, both were named after uh, songs that my parents heard in their hippie travels. Um, mine is Native American, and our middle names are both after Lord of the Rings characters. So. There you go. They're and a mouthful for sure, both of them.
1: And you spend you spend your life peddling rum. I
2: do. So, I so, do. Sounds like uh, a, sounds like
1: a hell of a job.
2: Well, you know um, the the rum runners. You know we're before my time, but we're still holding up the tradition of of rumming around with the rum. So, um, yeah, it's not a it's not a terrible life to have. I'm, I'm pretty
1: fortunate. Well, we, we we were intrigued when we got a press release from you, talking talking about some some of your rums and why they're unusual and why, as a result, they would make wonderful Christmas gifts. And I have to tell you that the Christmas gifts you sent us are. We're approaching the bottom of the bottle, and Christmas hasn't even come close yet. <laughs> but, yeah,
2: it's but well we are, Mission accomplished.
1: But we are we are enjoying something that tells us more about rum than Captain the the one that says Captain Captain and Coke, and the the Absolutely. other one that's that's a white color, and you use it to make daiquiris, and they're buying up all the world's spirit companies.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: true, you're not that, wrong there. Um, I mean, there is a vast difference in what I understood rum to be, to be like. and what exactly. these things like your products are.
1: Well, so t- exactly. T- so two of the samples that we got re- really intrigued me because I thought that rum was associated with the British West Indies, but it turns out rum is also a feature of the French West Indies and particularly the island of Martinique.
2: Absolutely. And Martinique uh rum and Martinique in general is really what kind of piqued my interest um in the rum category. Um I uh I was a bartender in Southern California for many years and um obviously uh here, you know, we have great we're we're close to Mexico, we have a great selection of agave Spirits and tequila and Moscow. Um and I found a, I really enjoyed those spirits, but I uh, discovered Rum Agricole from Martinique, which is, like you said, m- much different than your traditional style of rum. Um, most rum is made from molasses, and Martinique, they make their rum from sugar cane juice. Um, it really has a more herbaceous, yes, like, herbal, incredible. grassy quality to it. Um, that really was super interesting to me, and unlike anything I've ever tasted, Um, you know, if you've ever had pishasa, it's, it's, uh, in that similar vein made from sugarcane juice, but the culture around rum agricole in Martinique is such a part of everything there and of the people, and it's absolutely right what you just said. Um, it's a totally, it's a, it's, it's almost like this, um, unique bubble of discovery that, um, it's its own little world and its own, uh, eclectic, um, you know, variety of different spirits, and from uh, the unaged spirit, which is super grassy and funky and herbaceous, to the aged spirit, which once you know that that funky, herbaceous, grassy um, product spirit hits wood, and all those natural uh, chemical changes happen in the rum. It all it almost. Ha- takes on a quality that's more similar to like a cognac or an exactly. act, So
3: that's,
1: that's exactly what i was going to say yeah, it's it, it's it's rum that doesn't taste like rum
4: yeah it's, it's, yeah,
2: it's just fascinating and every every step of the process like whether it's aged or unaged and um i also find that that really um you know a lot of people are still unfamiliar with this product um and it's just so interesting and eye opening to be able to um introduce you know that's another thing with rum that people often think that they don't like it because they've only had it that one time when they were you know 18 or 19 <laughs> and they <laughs> drank too much i mean from my own personal experience drank too much you know Bacardi Limon and Diet Coke when i was Maybe you know. Yeah. Maybe well, maybe twenty one. We'll
1: say twenty one for reality's sake. More, more, more uh, than, what did Dorothy drink? She she drank Ronrico, which was one hundred and fifty proof. <laughs> and it and it, 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 uh, it put the hairs on your back, standing up.
2: I, I mean, yeah, that'll that'll make you grow up fast.
1: I guess. you could say. Now, now hold on a before before I lose before I lose. The other thought I wanted to get across, the other thing that's interesting, aside from the raw material used in these rums, is you're, you're also using barrels, so you're, in, you're introducing new flavors from both young and old barrels, and uh, I thought that was very Absolutely. interesting, and it's, it's something that the Scotch producers have been doing for a long time, but it, is it fairly new to the world of rum that you're doing that?
2: Um not really um I mean we we really try and um kind of to have a full like a, to to create a parallel like a painter's palette of different options um in order to have you know a full a full rainbow scale of colors to kind of create a beautiful painting if you will um with the rum I most of most of our barrels are American and French, um, a variety of New American oak, and um, and uh, use bourbon barrels. Um, really, bourbon barrels used to be uh, you know quite easy to get a hold of because uh, in in bourbon you can only legally use you can exactly. use a barrel once and then mm. it has to be discarded. Um, A lot of beer companies are now buying up those barrels and using them quite a bit more, so they're not as available as they used to be, which, you know, could be seen as a misfortune. But for us, it just gave us, like, opportunity to use more uh, New American oak barrels and and experiment with the chars, and that definitely adds a different influence um, when you're using New American oak as opposed to uh, ex-bourbon. And then, you know, different varieties of uh french barrels different sizes different chars um we're using mainly uh new french barrels Um, although we have done some experimenting with uh with cognac and calvados and Armagnac barrels in the past um but yeah i mean you have such a wide variety of of different um products barrels to use that all like you said add different influence and um and it yeah, is. We, it just is we just interviewed.
0: We just interviewed people from Rogue Spirits in Arden, okay, yep. and they they have their own um,
1: um, Cooperage.
2: Cooperage,
1: yeah. 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 So so they, we, so they can produce. We don't have that. They yeah. can produce. Ba- <laughs> yeah. They can produce barrels. <laughs> they can produce barrels on a whim, but they, they are doing a, a lot a lot of reusing bourbon barrels to to, barrels. to age beer yeah. and yeah. and the reverse so so they, yeah, they, so they, we, so they're going both ways.
2: We've had a lot of interest in that. Um uh it's it's a little bit of a headache as you can probably imagine to get um you know to swap barrels between the United States and Martinique. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, right, right. You
2: know, just logistically, but um we have we have actually just started figuring out how to do that. So, um I don't want to get ahead of myself and, and say what, what's coming down the pipeline. But, um, yeah, I think that there will be some very small collaborations experimentally with uh, a beer company or, or two just to um, see if we I, – I, as you can probably imagine with the logistics of that, it will be a very small uh, collaboration mm-hmm. just to get those barrels to the U.S. But, uh, yeah, we are starting to really branch out and do some more of those things. People are very interested in used rum barrels.
0: Why all of a sudden are we seeing all these new, much more interesting styles of rum?
2: I, I mean, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one of those reasons is that um, the tropical cocktail slash tiki movement has really come back to a forefront um, in the last ten years or less, um, and you know, tiki bars. Kind of fell off for thirty years, and um, they're now reopening. But because people are more interested in quality spirits, um, they're using you know the best of the best rum, and the whole beauty of, of the tiki cocktail is that it's because rum is so you know so diverse, unlike unlike other other spirits categories. You know, if if you're making if you're making an old fashioned. With whiskey and you're mixing a rye and a bourbon it's not really you know it's not really you're not going to really notice it but if you're making a cocktail with like a high proof jamaican rum and um a, a black strap rum um those two flavors are so completely different that they're almost like two different spirits and that's kind of the beauty of tc is incorporating all those different styles of rum Um, And I think people are really appreciating that and they want to kind of see the deconstruction of those various products within those famous tiki cocktails that are being, you know, being resurrected.
0: We have a whole Uh,
2: book on tiki cocktails. (laughs) Yeah, and there have been, been, uh, I I would say like in the last five years, like, I don't know, 10 or more very notable um, tiki aficionados uh, and tiki bar owners who have released very notable, very notable books. Um, I mean, Jeff Beachbonberry has the best cheeky books, in my opinion. I really just loved reading how he writes. But, you know, um, also Martin Kate has a wonderful cheeky book out that just that came out a couple of years ago. And, um, yeah, I mean, people, I mean, people are buying these books up. I think also millennials are really interested in, um, you know, new high-quality spirits. They're not just wanting to, like, when I was in my early 20s, I was just constantly reaching for that same bottle that I was familiar with. But I feel like now, um, you know, our, now the younger generation is really wanting to try new things. Like every time they go back to the liquor store, they're going to try a different bottle instead of just going for what's familiar. So um, I don't know. I think also the craft cocktail movement bartenders are are really trying to be educated, and bartenders and consumers, they want to be educated, they want transparency, they want to try something new, Um, they want to learn uh, about rum, and especially aged rum, because aged spirits in in the United States, but around the world, you know, whiskey is is really popular, and um, so why not try a different, Brown spirit, um, sure. and there are a lot of options in rum, and they're also a lot more cost effective because the demand isn't there yet. So the fact that you can get a, a, a you know, a ten-year-old bottle of Martinique rum for under a hundred dollars—that's um, that's on that's you know in 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 the whiskey world, it's pretty difficult to find some rarer ten-year-old uh, bourbons or rye even though. It's not a you know that that was made just
1: just round you know in the same country. So hold uh, well, hold on a second. Let's let's not leave let's not leave out the British collection. Oh, the British connection too. Because Martinique, as we mentioned, is was was occupied by the French. But Saint Lucia, just down the road, was uh, was a colony of my native land. And there's someone there is doing something very innovative. With the chairman's reserve, and some very in, some very interesting distilling methods being used there. F- yeah, fill so us I in mean, on that a, one.
2: A hop, skip, and a jump away. Uh, literally, it's a, it's about a nine-minute plane ride or an hour uh, boat ride from uh, south of Martinique is Saint Lucia, and um, there's only one distillery in Saint Lucia. Um, they don't actually really grow sugar cane in St. Lucia anymore, um, so that molasses is uh, brought in from ma- mainly the Dominican Republic, um, but uh, we, there are, in 2000, uh, 2016, our company, Spearbaum, uh bought St. Lucia distillers, and it's, it's just, it's really a playground. Uh, all those things we were saying about the different barrels in Martinique Grum, um, in St. Lucia Distillers, not only do we have a bunch of different barrel types, but we have four different stills. So um, the reason a lot of people, you know, think of Jamaican rum and they think of that, what they call Hogo, a high taste, really like funky rum is because of the pot stills that are used in Jamaican rum and the long fermentation. Um, We have, three-pot stills of St. Lucia Distillers and a column still, which just really expands our palette of creativity to to kind of, like I said before, paint a perfect picture. And that all really has to do with uh, the family before, uh, the Bernard family and their, their innovative vision to, while a lot of other distilleries were buying up column stills to have more efficient, uh, practices and creating more product at once. St. Lucia Distillers was buying up those their their you know discarded uh, pot stills and trying to create a collection of different stills so they could create different rums to blend together. And their philosophy was never about an age statement. A lot of people get hung up on numbers in all aspects of life, um, but at St. Lucia Distillers, the philosophy there really has always been that you know, the, the best rum doesn't have a number on it. It's a blend of the complexity you get from an older rum mixed with some of those lighter notes that you get from a younger rum. Um, cause honestly, like in the Caribbean, you're, you're the aging is accelerated. Um, it, things become, uh, more flavorful, more darker and more tannic quickly, uh, because of the high humidity and the evaporation and the heat. And, um, so, you know, something that's aging for 10 years in the Caribbean after 10 years is going to take up pick up a lot of that wood influence. And sometimes, yes, it's, it's flavorful and complex, but um, sometimes too much wood influence is, is too much. And it can, uh, you know, it can give you kind of like a, a high tannic, um, too dry flavor profile. So by mixing those complexities with the younger rum, you have a really pristine, um, elegant products—that's like the best
1: of both worlds. So, Kiwa, um, yes. you're, you're just a wonderful spokesperson for your company. <laughs>
2: Thank
1: you. Sorry, I, I uh, no, talked so much. I could talk for hours. We have we have one thing left, we left out so far, which is where where can people find this elixir of life so that they can have some like we just did.
2: Um. I mean we are in many uh we're in many fine wine and spirits shops uh around the world. Um, we're in all Rum Clermont specifically is in all fifty states in the US. Um, I believe we're in about thirty countries. Um, if you're located in the US actually if you go on our website we have an online um, retailer that'll basically uh if you're in one of the 44 states that ships in the United States, uh, we can set you up there with any of our products. So
1: great. Now, uh, yeah. what, what's that? What's that website?
2: Uh, if you go to spiribomb.com. com
1: um, Okay. Yes,
2: there's a there's a little shopping cart on that website,
1: and that's s p i r i b a m bam. Yes. BAM, exactly. BAM, B-A-M and and
2: uh, we're a, we're a spirit bam.
1: <laughs> well, it certainly
2: what?
0: was an interesting um, new view into the whole area of Rome.
1: And and listeners, get, get some of this; it'll make for a happy Christmas. Yeah, yes, you may, you may, you may be sure. Yeah, thank
0: you so much. you
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for being. Thank you so much for Absolutely. being part of the program.
2: So thank, thank you so, so much
1: her. for having me. Thank also, you. talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. And don't go away because right after the break, we're going to introduce you to uh, uh, an organization which makes wonderful beer and also, more recently, wonderful spirits. So don't forget, we'll be right back.
4: Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
0: Welcome back. As promised, uh, we're going to take you into discussion with rogue. Well, was rogue ales, and, and now it's rogue ales and spirits. Talking to Dewey Weddington, who certainly knows uh, his his mm-hmm. spirits.
1: <laughs> he, he, he knows his way around a bourbon. Oh, yeah, he does. Few of, the, few of the variants that they produce right out there in Newport, Oregon, and you like them too. Yeah, yeah, sure do. Like like the beer too they they they're all they're all around great guys and here's their story about the spirit section of their business our next guest is calling us from Newport Oregon but I have news I'm Al Roker, and I'm going to give you the weather, foreca- the weather <laughs> forecast for Newport Oregon and it's raining <laughs> I betcha. and it's cloudy and the visibility is about 100 yards okay.
0: Well, we're talking actually to Dewey perfect, Weddington.
1: Yeah. A, perf, a perfect place for Dewey Weddington to tell us all about dis, distilled spirits made in Oregon by a company that started out making beer. Right. Go,
4: right.
1: go, go ahead, Dewey. Well,
4: you got the weather correct. Absolutely. That's that's a classic day in Newport, which is. You know, and we'll talk more about it, but that's exactly why uh, making whiskey in Newport, it's a perfect location. It's that cool, damp weather for the kind of whiskey we want to make. It's, it's perfect. So when we wake up and it's raining, we just kind of smile. When the sun comes out, it's a great way to finish the day, though.
0: Is that like Scotland, I mean, with the same you know, same conditions, weather conditions?
1: Very, very, exactly. similar, very, very similar, in fact.
0: Yeah, I've never been wetter yeah. or colder in my life. We were in
1: the western highlands. Poland's not quite so far north. No, but uh, not
4: so I mean? far north. Very similar climate. Our we right, did a uh, right. study for a number of years that our climate in Newport is almost identical to uh, the Speyside region in Scotland, which is of go. course one of the great uh, whiskey producers of the world.
1: And yeah, and you have wonderful water too, right?
4: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and you know, you you started out. Um, you read this this thing I sent you, publicist. Um, what, we went to a cousin's wedding in uh, Newport and just happened upon the opportunity, therefore, uh, to go to your re- rogue beer tasting room and a spot. And we, we have a glass that we brought that we, that we still use. It's like a shot glass, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. And guess, guess what I used to taste the rogue spirits that came? Oh, you used it for this? Of course. What are you going to do? <laughs> you got to get the right flavor in all departments. So, uh,
0: just do a, a, a brief background on this company. It's known for handcrafting everything, right? Artisanal before yes. anything was artisanal.
4: Well, you know, rogue from the the onset, it's always been a company that um, has been just kind of very curious. With the, a, a question, I think we ask every day is, "What if?" Um, and the, one of the first what-ifs was, well, what if we put our brewery operation in Newport, Oregon? It had started uh, a few hours south near Ashland, Oregon, um, but um, Jack Joyce, who started the company, was looking for a new location where he could expand and have better access uh, to the resources that were needed, but also was you know, maybe a more, uh, more interesting location. And you know, oddly enough, you know Newport, you know it is a very wet place. It's a very yes. mild climate. But Jack found himself trapped in Newport one day, uh, a little over 30 years ago, in a in a blizzard, which doesn't wow. happen on the Oregon coast very that's, often, if ever. Funny. Yeah. So he he was stuck there and just happened to be speaking uh, to a woman at a bar who uh, was, uh, her name was Mo, and Mo owns uh, the famous Oregon's uh, Oregon's famous uh, restaurants on the coast called Mo's. And through that conversation, he ended up with a deal. Uh, to take over a building and move a small brewery in there and open a tap room, and so we've been in Newport, Oregon, ever since. And of course, we've grown, uh, you know, we've expanded greatly over the years to the, the facility that you were in. And depending upon how many years ago that was, you were there, it continues to grow. And so we've been brewing there in Newport for just about thirty years now. And and That's as you noted, we certainly are known around the country for creativity. Oh, and, fabulous! Uh, yeah.
1: Now you you heard the sad story about Red Hook right just the other day?
4: Oh, we hear stories like that it seems like right now a couple times a week. What Some, happened? S- somebody
1: bought them. Yeah. The, the giant world-size brewing company headquartered I think in South Africa actually bought Red Hook which and Red 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 Hook was the first craft beer I think I I drank after Sierra Nevada and Anchor Steam. Yeah. It's well, it's a it's a sad commentary, isn't
4: it? It is. It's kind of the, you know the state of craft brewing right now. There's a lot of a lot of big internationals uh, that are buying the craft craft breweries like us that have been around for a long time, and and uh, and those who are like us who are still fiercely independent. We're all looking for uh, new avenues and, and new ways to apply our craft and our techniques into products that are. Um, that are interesting that follow the, the path that we took years ago, but provide something new and different and exciting for for people that are looking for different types of beverages to uh, to enjoy. Yeah, it's not just um,
0: beverage; it's chocolates, it's cheese. It's, I mean, that's how the business um, evolves nowadays. But if you're lucky, you certainly. get to keep control over like um, what's that, that the cheese we were just talking about, maraschino.
1: Oh. good. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, she still has uh, Humboldt. 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 Park, Park, Park. Yeah, she still has just just, down, just
1: nicely down the road from you. Exactly. In fact, you're not very far away from Rogue Creamery. I'll bet. Are you there?
4: I'm here. Yes. Yeah. We're um in in Newport's a, a couple hour drive from the Rogue Creamery down okay, down in right. Southern Oregon. Oh, we love those guys.
0: Well, they're fantastic. Yeah, just one of the guys left, right? Yeah, one of the partners. Yes, left. David. Yeah, I
1: think. David.
0: I'm, no, he's still there. We talk David's the him. one who's still there.
1: Yeah, and Gremels. Any, anyway, you,
0: you. It's a nice sorry. part of the country. I wish we could come more often. We used no, to come a lot.
1: But at, so, at some point in your history, you just you decided that stronger, stronger beverages were something you could do. Yeah. Talk, yeah. To us, talk to us a little bit about that, and also weave in there if you like the fact that you also make your own barrels and i don't know of anybody else in the spirit business who makes their own barrels
4: well the, the barrels are very much just part of that the what if
1: yeah.
4: mentality that do it yourself approach to things that you know that we've taken from the beginning but we about 16 years ago uh, a decision was made that we would start exploring this new this new idea that was showing up in the northwest and in a few places around the country and that was craft distilling we'd had already been a leader in the craft beer and, and had um, taken our brand and our products around the country and, and into uh, numerous countries around the world, and started looking at what was next, what was coming, and it was decided that, you know, maybe there was something here with craft distilling, and, uh, and in Oregon, we as we mentioned earlier, we were talking that we have such a perfect climate for making whiskeys, especially single malt uh, styles of whiskeys, and Growing grain locally and such, and
0: yeah, you grow we, your own grain and stuff too, right? Goodness,
4: yeah. We we used to. We we don't currently. Oh, okay. um, we we had a small. We had an acreage that we were growing barley. We've grown a little rye, but we've decided or or found that as being a small producer that also ran a small farm just wasn't I good business. Was good <laughs> I thought
0: that was a bit much. But course, it was Coop wonderful Bridge. Coop bridges and we, we were someplace in Europe where they they made their own uh, barrels no right? we, like I hate to, contra- to
1: contradict you with, was your lumber in South Australia oh. in the barossa Valley in South Australia okay. uh, and, and they, they, well, there's,
4: there's only um, there is no other craft brewery distillery farmer um, that makes their own barrels in, in the US uh, mm-hmm. I don't know of any elsewhere that has kind of this this full circle effect of what we're doing. And on the barrel side, we started making barrels now about five years ago. And we've been making them exclusively from Gariana or Oregon Oak. Um, and it's an interesting decision that we'd make barrels from Oregon Oak because it was something that we had to experiment with. We had to see what kind of flavors would be imparted into our whiskey. So. Um we learned a lot along the way. We have an amazing cooper, who uh, Nate, who makes our barrels for us right there next to our still house between the distillery and the brewery. Um, and having those barrels allows us to utilize barrels that we make ourselves, both at the distillery and in the brewery. And in, in some cases, like our rolling Center stouted whiskey, it's a case that that barrel is the center point for both the brewery and the distillery. Right. And we end up with a finished product.
1: Um, so you're going amazing. so you're going both ways. You're you're using spirit barrels to age your beer, and you're using beer barrels to to impart flavor to your whiskeys. Yes. Did yeah. I, did, exactly. did, I get that? did I get that right?
4: Yes, you did. And I be, I believe you had a chance to sample the Rolling Thunder Stout whiskey, and that's that's the one that really exemplifies everything that we do at Rogue because it. It is a barrel that we make from Oregon Oak, um, and that barrel is first filled with uh, one of our whiskies. That whiskey spends a year in the barrel. We t- take the whiskey out and then hold it in stainless steel yeah. and then refill that barrel with our Imperial Stout. Wow. And that's, that stout's in there for nine months. We take the stout out, bottle that, and that is now releasing this year's version of Rolling Thunder Imperial Stout is releasing here very shortly. But when we take the stout out, we put the whiskey back in for two more years. Wow. And mm-hmm. okay. one thing that happens, obviously, is we extract all those flavors of that stout that soaks into the wood. But what we find with Oregon Oak is Oregon Oak doesn't have a lot of vanilla tones to it. So um, we don't get a lot of sweetness. We get more baking spices, spices and citrus. And so by putting the Imperial Stout in there, okay, um, right. the sweetness from that beer then becomes part of the flavor profile of the whiskey. And, uh, we were pretty excited this year when we submitted it to competitions, um, how incredibly well it did, uh, around the country and actually also over in London. So, um, we, we yeah, found, I think uh.
0: That's how I found out that, that you are making spirits as, as, some one of these competitions.
1: Well, the, oh, yes? The, 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 the funny thing about it is that the, the Scots have always used exotic barrels, if you like, or used barrels to, to, to age their whiskies but i always thought it was just because they were cheap <laughs> because because scotsmen are renowned for having short arms and long pockets
4: <laughs> well they they may have started for that reason but then found uh, some pretty incredible flavors that come through you know be it uh, bordeaux barrels or madeira or whatever they're using and yeah. and that's kind of you know that's what we learned with this experiment with the stouted whiskey Um, and then we just released locally, we released our first wine barrel finished whiskey, uh, which we refer to as the Oregon Pinot Barrel Project, because it was our dead guy whiskey. Is
0: that new? Is it not on the market? It was
4: brand new, and it was only 34 six packs, uh, that were produced, and we kept them just here in Oregon. (laughs) Um, and we were,
0: we got four, and I thought that was all you're making, but you actually make five now.
4: We snuck in one more, and it's already, it's already gone. It's already sold out here in Oregon. Oh, no so kidding. we will, uh, we'll make sure you get a sample of next. We'll do a series of, uh, different barrel finished whiskeys this coming year, and we'll make sure you get a sample so you, you can follow along on what we're doing.
0: Well, i have got to be very quick because I didn't get to sample much of what you said. <laughs> <laughs> we can send an extra set
1: if we need to. <laughs> You, you, you better, Run us through the four. better, you better, send, you better the types you have. But hold on, hold on before, before we before we go off this subject, I thought the most inter- one of the most interesting distilled beverages we had recently was aged in vermouth casks. Yeah, I and it was a, it was a Puerto Rican. My,
0: back, my thing.
1: It was a Puerto Rican okay. rum. I oh, think. that's true. Was it, it, was, it was aged in in vermouth. Seemed like it was on its way to being a cocktail already.
4: Yeah, okay. Well, now, now you're making me ask, what if what if we put <laughs> exactly. gin in a, in a barrel like that? What if we put gin in a vermouth barrel? That, well, I might have to find out what that would
1: do. I tell you what, we got, we got a startling gin the other day. It's blue. It's blue, yeah. It, come, it, come, oh. it comes from the northwest of Scotland. And when you pour it out of the bottle, it's which actually
0: is... actually sapphire is what
1: it's and called. The, 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 the bottle is actually ceramic. It's not mm. glass. And it has oh, wow. writing it has writing all over it. And then inside when you pour when you pour the you expressions gin out, it comes out sapphire. It's blue.
0: <laughs> so then you could like yeah. uh, if
1: if you want to talk to them about their experience we can put you in talk we with can them, put yeah. you in touch. They they said people
0: mainly really were crazy about it. They were a little concerned about the color to start with, but it turned out it was very popular. I don't generally like wow. drinking or eating blue things, but that's all right. <laughs>
1: but, but the, but, the, the home of, the home of this distillery is far more remote than Newport, Oregon.
0: Yeah, and that's the, possible. Oh it, yeah, do oh you, yeah. Dude, do, do you want to run us through the the four kinds? You said something now about the um, uh, the latest one, but what about Dead Guy Whiskey? Why is it called that? To start with. <laughs>
4: Oh, certainly. Well, it, it, if you know if you know Rogue uh, from the brewery side of the operation here, one of our well, our, our probably our single most iconic beer is Dead Guy Ale,
0: right? And we've right been making
4: that. Dead Guy Ale for I believe about twenty eight years now. Twenty eight almost as long as we've existed. This is um, this
1: is the one doing that's like eight percent alcohol.
4: It's it's a little bit higher, but it's pretty mellow. It's a pretty mellow box style ale, uh-huh. uh, multi. Uh, very smooth, easy. It pairs with so many different kinds of food. It's wonderful. Um, and it's the beer that, you know, I, I, I've i been fortunate to travel around the country uh, talking about our whiskeys and our gins. And everywhere I go, I meet people who say to me, boy, oh, my very first craft beer was Dead Guy, with oh, yeah. Dead Guy Ale. Um, so people know Dead Guy Ale from, you know, Maine, Vermont, down to Florida, across Texas to California, and all up and down the Midwest to the West Coast. So making the decision to to, uh, move into whiskey kind of started with, you know, what happens if we take this very malty beer and distill it? What kind of a whiskey would that make? Well, you know, whiskey making a whiskey that uh, is made from a Maybach-type beer recipe is pretty unheard of. Uh, I think we're the only ones who do that. Um, so that has three different malts in it. It is 100% barley, so it would fall under American single malt.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but it takes all those flavors that people recognize in Dead Guy Ale—lots of, uh, you know, subtle coffee and cocoa and caramel tones—and this is kind of this nice, rich, easy-drinking ale. And when what we find out is when you distill that and, and you age it a minimum of two years, about two and a half to three seems like a sweet spot for that recipe. You end up concentrating those flavors. So you end up with this whiskey that has, uh, the coffee and cocoa tones, a hint of caramel, um, really easy drinking. But for a lot of, a lot of whiskey drinkers, it's such an uncommon or, uh, I guess an uncommon flavor for them because they're used to bourbon or rye or more yeah. classic scotch. Well, this one
0: um, best Oregon whiskey at the international whiskey competition. It's kind of an odd category, isn't it? It, we thought that was too. <laughs> and we were thrilled. It's the only Oregon
4: oh whiskey. <laughs> we, yeah, luckily we have a, a, a number of distilleries in Oregon now, mm-hmm. and most of us are making, or, or at least a good portion of us here, are making single malts and, and moving that direction. But it did, and it has also won uh, gold at San Francisco International in I think 2018. That's a uh, It's a biggie in Los Angeles at the uh, LA uh, competition as well. Um, it's done very well in London and, and uh, other competitions. So it's one that is, is a, a bit surprising to more classic whiskey drinkers because that flavor is so different. Um, but as you spend some time with it and um, sip on it, you find that this is just, a, just such a nice, easy, lovely drinking whiskey that will hold up beautiful in a cocktail. Um but it's just a it's just a new version, a new approach to American single malt, which is what's exciting about that category to us. Is we do have opportunities to make single malts a little bit different than is classically expected, yeah, um, you and that in rogue, itself is very
0: single malt, also yes, yeah, that's the next one we tried.
4: Well, that one is uh, that one's five year aged. And, and that, it got a
0: gold medal in the 2018 World World Spirits Competition, which is a biggie.
4: Yes, that was those those competitions always just make us smile, and, and they're they're a confirmation that what we're you know, we're going down the right path. That decisions that we made, obviously in the case of that whiskey five years ago or more, were were good decisions. Um, they were the right way to go to start to developing an expression of a single malt coming from Oregon, from Newport, Oregon in particular. That whiskey is is wonderful to me because as you sip it, if you um, – well, next time, well, to make sure you get some more to sample. Um, when you sip that, if you imagine yourself on that beach in Newport where you've been and it's cool – there's a beach fire somewhere up the coast, so you smell a little smoke in the air, but you smell that sea air, that brininess, that mm-hmm. churning of the Pacific that's happening in front of you. And in that whiskey, you get that sea air, that little bit of brininess, a little hint of smoke because we smoke a percentage of the malts uh, of the barley that is with cherry and alder. So there's mm-hmm. a fine line of smoke through it. And then aging in Newport helps is kind of a mellow process because it's so cool and damp there year-round pretty much our whiskeys age slowly and gently. So they're in and out of the wood, more of kind of a, a well-paced marathon instead of a sprint. If we took that same whiskey to a warmer climate or even over the mountains back into the Willamette Valley here, it would be a very different aging uh, approach to that whiskey, and it would taste different than it does.
0: You're practically a poet, aren't you? A whiskey poet. <laughs>
4: well, I just enjoy whiskey.
0: <laughs>
4: and it comes out of my head sometimes in in strange ways. Oh.
1: <laughs> you you should do something special on Burns night. <laughs> I like
4: that idea. S- somebody somebody,
0: that.
1: somebody, somebody yeah, has that. somebody has one here. Somebody yeah, has somebody one somebody has here.
0: in Pittsburgh and, and yeah. Oakland.
1: Yeah uh, Oh I to go attend that. Yeah what what <laughs> yeah. You know, first, first thing to do is find out what when when was Robbie Burns' birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You gotta have it on the right night otherwise otherwise you go straight to hell. <laughs>
0: So anyhow and and so I have... gotta be careful
1: here. Yeah. <laughs> I
4: have
0: two others now.
1: Well you had
4: uh you had the Oregon Rye Malt. Yes. Um which is a, a pretty unique whiskey and we are now this year we've we've spotted a couple of more malted ryes coming to the marketplace. We've been making our Oregon Rye Malt for a number of years and until recently there was only one other malted rye that we were at least readily available that we are aware of, and that was the Old Portrayal out of San Francisco. Um, so, you know, following the same thought process of, you know, making our other whiskeys is well, what if? What if we malted our rye instead of, uh, you know, going a more standard process? What if we blended some rye with barley, which is something we'd already been working with? So you end up with, without whiskey, you end up with a um, malted rye whiskey that is. 52% rye, and 48% barley, all malted.
3: Mm-hmm. And by malting
4: that rye, you really uh, you end up softening the spice, which changes how the spice hits you when you when you sip it instead of... Uh, I'm sure you're aware some rye whiskeys are just really big, spicy, and punchy uh, with all that intensity. And, and this is more of a subtle starting point that builds with flavor and builds with spices. So it's more of a... Um, Probably more of a single malt drinker's rye whiskey in that sense, but it has these beautiful layers of spice that start to evolve. And so it's a really is a real a very easy sipping rye whiskey, but still delicious in cocktails uh, and very unique.
0: Yeah, you, you, were, you have a history of working in spirits, though, right?
4: I, well, I, I come from spirits and sake and other categories, wine. Uh, and beer, um, but I've always I've been a whiskey drinker and, and worked with some of the best bartenders in the country over the years on recipes for other other products that I've worked with, and for me, whiskey's just been a personal passion, and coming to Rogue was ideal, just as the, with the single malts were coming of age to where they should be, um, to be able to come and help uh, t- continue to evolve them, work with our distiller and our team has been phenomenal.
1: You
0: sound like having a good time there,
1: do <laughs> Well, they, I, I, I was—I was on your website. I checked out. Uh, where can you get, beer, rogue beer, close to you? But is, this, is the same thing there on your website for for the whiskeys as well?
4: There is not, unfortunately. That's a. We have better access to data on our beer than we have on our whiskey right now. Hopefully, by fall, we'll be able to have that resolved, okay, and great. you'll be able to. Get on there, but we're we're pretty available in most major markets around the country
1: at right. this time. All right. Well, Dewey, thank you so much for for joining us. You 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 made us happy when when you, when you sent your product. We you made us happy before we knew you.
0: <laughs> now Wonderful. We like. Now we like you a lot, especially now, if you send more. <laughs> Your new product. <laughs> well, I think I can make okay, sure you keep
4: liking me. I am okay, teasing well,
0: you, well, keep, but it's keep, it's keep keep fun on, to talk to. Yeah, so It'll be fun talking to you again.
1: Keep on, keep on doing, keep, keep on doing what you are doing. It's amazing the,
0: the stuff that you think of, and if you started with the what ifs, yeah, it's amazing. Exactly. Okay, Dewey Weddington, we're talking about. Rogue Spirits. It's now called Rogue Ales and Spirits. And it's a wonderful brand, and we've we've loved it for a long time.
1: So and, it's a, and it's a great story, too.
4: a great story. Thank Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great talking to you.
1: Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by
4: ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
0: Well, here we are again, and uh, we're just switching gear a little bit, um, taking you to the Speed Art Museum, and uh, I think that you'll find in Louisville, and you'll find um, the Art of Bourbon Auction, which just completed its second year, makes a lot of sense considering the state spirit uh, and also what the uh, proceeds do to benefit the museum will have you sitting back on your heels. Is that the term? I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll let it pass. Okay. So, so, so here's, uh, Stephen Riley. Who's is the
0: director of the, the Speed Muse- Art Museum in Louisville,
2: Kentucky.
3: One or more in their portfolio, they've been acquiring them. I, but again, we were, the support from them was, was truly amazing. Um, for example, that included from, um, the Beam Suntory family alone. A bottle of Private Select Maker's Mark, um, together with an original artwork um, commissioned by Dale Chihuly, originally for placement at the at the distillery in Loretto, Kentucky, um, as well as other barrels from them. Brown Foreman um, contributed numerous bottles from a Baccarat bottle of Woodford Reserve to some very exclusive bottles of Old Forester's Birthday Bourbon. Um, the list went on and on, and. We were, um, again, we're just deeply gratified by the role of the distilleries in supporting their home state's great museum. Uh, Many of them also contributed experiences that were highly sought after. The maker's Mark Barrel included a dinner cooked by makers, award-winning chef, with Rob and Bill Samuels. And we had other exclusive experiences like that.
0: I mean, that's a a winner, too. I think you've landed a great repeatable fundraiser. My goodness.
3: Yeah. Well, we hope you'll visit us next year.
0: Yeah, how do you? Uh,
1: yeah, we'll bring our checkbook too, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> what about your um uh, the invitation list? How do you get on the mailing list for this?
3: Um, well, it it sells out, so um, mm-hmm. people should be looking for our updated information on the Speed Museum's website, um, and they can communicate us with us with us directly about that. We are working to um, actually keep the um, auction. Um, to a manageable number. Um, the excitement in the room is palpable and kind of electric, and we want to keep that energy, which probably means fewer than 200 people. Wow! Um, we've been promoting it, of course, with our partners at Bourbon and Beyond, um, and also for people who can't get into the room. There's an online auction, so right. some of the most exclusive um, and high-priced items were available to bidders online as well. Wow!
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I. I I really feel like I have connections uh, to Louisville. The when we founded Women's Chef and, Restaur- and Restaurant Tours way way back um, uh, we used a management company from Louisville um, to to manage the organization and um, yeah and and she eventually this the woman we dealt with came on to do something with government I don't remember who? Then I also had. You have a fabulous uh, photographic archive there, and um, I, I, I was working on a project to establish a photographic archive in Pittsburgh, and uh, they sent uh, one of their um, curators as a consultant. Yeah. And he was. He, he didn't tell me this, but he was six foot five. By way of identifying him. <laughs>
3: it's um. I'm glad you know about it. That archive is located directly next door to the Speed Museum at really? the University of Louisville's Extra well, Library. You
1: know, I've never it's an incredible been resource. Level.
3: We've exhibited their works here at the museum before, works what? from that collection.
1: Oh, it's but, fabulous. But the end of the story was he was so totally banged his head.
0: In the parking oh, lot no. that we spent the morning in the emergency
3: room of the hospital. Well, you know, um, two of the well, we ended up selling two bottles that have a Pittsburgh origin story um, that belong to the um, uh, um, Richard um, to the Mellon family. Um, Bottles of Overholt Rye made in nineteen oh nine when the Overholt Distillery was owned by the Mellons together with Henry Clay Frick.
1: Right? Oh, no kidding. Right.
3: Those barrels eventually were put during Prohibition into the Mellon basement, and after Prohibition, they were bottled privately with labels that identified the year of their creation. Um, Those bottles remained in the Mellon basement until the death of Richard Mellon Scaife, um, in which several cases were found, and a generous support of the museum bought a a lot of them at auction at Christie's. He eventually donated one bottle to us, and when we had two competitive bids at $14,000, he generously gave an additional bottle so we could sell two of them, at that price.
0: I remember reading this story. It's a great story. You have some such a good sense of connection where all of this activity makes a lot of sense. I mean it's wonderful. I really congratulate you on, on being I don't know, um, what what would you call it?
1: <laughs> you know, I'm not
3: a lifelong museum professional. I'm an entrepreneur by profession and I've only been running a museum for the last two and a half years, so maybe okay. that's so ability you, to see new business opportunities to support the arts.
1: Hey, that's all, all, good. all, all you, all you need is another umpteen billion dollars, and you can run for president. <laughs> <laughs>
3: all right. Maybe well, I should start a distillery. <laughs> <laughs> that could be too.
0: Well, we have a lot of those craft distilleries going. We just interviewed the people at the Rogue Distillery in, in um, uh, Oregon. Oregon, Oregon, and uh, and we. Yeah, they're doing great guns too. It's um, yeah. yeah, so it's, a, it's ongoing. It's in the support we
3: got from some of the large companies, which is really important, but it's also meaningful that we sold bottles from many of the startups, including groups like Kentucky Owl, um, whose founder Dixon Dedman was at the auction, and there are a number of smaller um, distilleries that are um, creating You know important profiles. Of course, they all hope to be the next Pappy Van Winkle, and we enjoyed selling their products at the auction. Peerless is another one. Um, They're they're starting up like um, like nobody's business in Kentucky. Rabbit Hole is another. Oh
1: yeah, Rabbit Hole, I do. Yeah. Well, when's when's the date next year?
3: Well, we're waiting to find out the specific date of the Bourbon Beyond oh, okay, Festival, right, and then right. we will be the night before that begins.
1: Okay, great.
3: I okay. think, actually, I do know it. Let me see. Hang on. I could answer this question again. I, I think I have it in my calendar, don't we, Sherry? Or maybe uh, I can't remember if they it. Can I follow up
2: in. with
1: you on that? Sure, please sure. do. Sure, yeah. me do that. Yeah, and we'll put, we'll, we'll put, a, we'll put a news item on, on our website.
3: website. Yeah. Let me answer the question again if you want. Um, next year's event is again on the eve of Bourbon and Beyond, and so the Art of Bourbon Third Annual Auction will be on Thursday, September seventeenth.
1: Okay. Wow. Well,
0: yeah, I still keep wanting to know whatever happened to Sean Brock's private collection of bourbon.
1: He probably drank it all.
0: No, he he went. He had a um, what do you call it? Um,
1: he had a barrel of pappy. We know that.
0: No, but I mean, he he had an intervention and uh, went on the wagon. And so he sold his collection, which apparently was rather valuable because he bought some kind of a bizarre Italian c- car, you know, one of the multiple thousands of dollars for the car.
1: Maybe a Lamborghini, huh?
0: Not that better than that. More better obtuse. Than that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Even more <laughs> obtuse. More, more obscure, what I was going to say. <laughs> well, keep your eye out for things from um, Sean Brock's <laughs> collection then.
3: Well, that's great. <laughs> Is it a, you, you're not alone. Everyone seems to have a Pappy Van Winkle story, and we're excited to be part of part of it ourselves.
0: Right. Well, it's been a delight talking to you, and um, uh, thanks for setting this up. Um,
3: thank you, Sherry. Uh, thank you Sherry, all.
0: thank you for setting it up. We would love to
3: see you. I think it sounds like we have a lot of um, food and beverage friends in common. Oh, we hope yeah. to welcome you to the speed someday.
0: Hey, let's do that. That would be a good idea. We've never been there, but not in the summer.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, September seventeenth. That's cool. It that starts to cool good. off a little bit by then. That
0: sounds good. I'll look forward to it, and thank, thank you. you again. Both. Bye bye. Bye
3: bye.
1: It puts a it puts a whole new concept on doing the right thing, doesn't it? Yes, indeed. Okay, so we're doing the right thing, as always. We'll be here same time, same place next week. In the meantime, we hope you have a happy Christmas, just as we hope we'll have a happy Christmas, too. And I'm sure we all will. So same time, same place next week. And until then...
3: Bye-bye.
0: Determine when the 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 banana is finished and you have to replace it with a new one.
3: One (laughs) of the things that, um, you know, we know inspired um, the competitive bidding and high prices people paid is knowing that every dollar that they were spending to acquire barrels or bottles of bourbon in our auction were going to support a non-profit cause and our museum's mission.
0: Well, this is true. I mean, I, I, as I said, being formerly a, a curator in an art museum, um, they, the, people will, will give and give and give, and there's a certain kind of passion for the, the product itself, the art, for the institution, which is non-profit, and uh, I think also for the prestige that comes from that kind of a situation, right?
3: Well, we um, I think you're correct. We, three and a half years, opened up an extraordinary new building designed by a world-famous architect here um, that renovated our 90-year-old core building, and, and the space is inspiring um, for visitors and for donors, I think. Um, we 've also been working to fulfill our mission as the state 's museum, uh-huh. and I think the connection to the states um, of the state 's greatest museum to the state 's greatest product is felt very closely by the people who attend and bid on bourbon at the auction
0: right now I mean do you have a steady stream besides julian of of um, the, this league of
1: uh, sure, and yeah, sure, um, the distilleries
3: that participated were um, we were deeply gratified and impressed. Um, to be honest, we um, the distilleries and uh, that that made contributions or gifts of, of bourbon and barrels for us to auction include every major almost every major distillery that's active in Kentucky. Um, from Beam Suntory to um, Brown Foreman, um, on and on. Um, Buffalo Trace.
0: Yeah, we've, we've interviewed a lot of these people, like the people at Mictors.
3: Mictors, exactly. Angels Envy.
0: Angels Envy. We interviewed it's, them,
1: too. It's funny. Did, did you ever hear the story about Angels Envy? Well, huh? which... How, uh, how tell we, me. how How he how got, got started. The, 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 old, the old man, Henderson along in his career, was responsible for the launching of Woodford Reserve. That's right. Many, many people's favorite bourbon. But then he, reti- he retired, but his son decided to get into the whiskey business, so he talked his father into helping him to get started. So... And-
3: yeah, the Hendersons came to the Art of Bourbon auction this year after they won an award in Bardstown that same evening. Really? Yeah, Lincoln Henderson we honored at the museum at a different event this year. He'd been the master distiller, as you mentioned, at Brown Foreman, and then another friend of the museum backed him in launching Angel's Envy before it was sold to Bacardi. Yeah. I, oh, so, I so,
1: so somebody somebody bought Angel's Envy from from the Hendersons. Huh?
3: Yes. Don't, I don't, did.
1: I don't think we knew that. There's a lot of that movement going on, isn't there? I guess. Yeah. Everybody in the liquor business wants wants to wants to clamp onto a good thing. Yeah. All of the big spirits companies
3: want in on bourbon. And right. If they don't have one or more in their portfolio, they've been acquiring them. But again, we were the support from them was was truly amazing. Um, for example, that included from um, the Beam-Suntory family alone. A bottle of Private Select Maker's Mark, um, together with an original artwork um, commissioned by Dale Chihuly, originally mm-hmm. for placement at the at the distillery in Loretto, Kentucky, um, as well as other barrels from them. Brown Foreman um, contributed numerous bottles from a Baccarat bottle of Woodford Reserve to some very exclusive bottles of Old Forester's Birthday Bourbon. Um, the list went on and on, and. We were, um, again, we're just deeply gratified by the role of the distilleries in supporting their home state's great museum. Uh, many of them also contributed experiences that were highly sought after. Yeah, the maker's right. Mark Barrel included a dinner cooked by makers, award-winning chef, with Rob and Bill Samuels. Yeah. And we had other ex- exclusive experiences like that.
0: that. I mean, that's a, a winner, too. I think you, you've landed a great repeatable fundraiser. My goodness
3: yeah well, we hope you'll visit us next year yeah how do
0: you
1: uh, Yeah, we'll bring our checkbook too right? yeah
0: <laughs> what about your um uh, the invitation list? How do you get on the mailing list for this
3: um well it's it sells out, so um, mm-hmm. people should be looking for our updated information on the speed museum's website um, and they can communicate us with us with us directly about that. We are working to um actually keep the um, auction. Um, to a manageable number. Um, the excitement in the room is palpable and kind of electric, and we want to keep that energy, which probably means fewer than 200 people. Wow! Um, we've been promoting it, of course, with our partners at Bourbon and Beyond, um, and also for people who can't get into the room. There's an online auction, so right. some of the most exclusive um, and high-priced items were available to bidders online as well. Wow!
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I. I I really feel like I have connections uh, to louisville the when we founded women chef and, Restaur- and restaurant tours way way back um, uh, we used a management company from louisville um, to to manage the organization and um yeah and and she eventually this the woman we dealt with came on to do something with government i don't remember. Who. then I also had you have a fabulous uh photographic archive there, and um, i i I was working on a project to establish a photographic archive in pittsburgh, and uh they sent uh, one of their um curators as a consultant, yeah, and he was he, he didn't tell me this but he was six foot five by way of identifying him <laughs>
3: it's, um I'm glad you know about it. That archive is located directly next door to the Speed Museum really? at the University of Louisville's Extra right. Library. See, and I've never it's an incredible been Incredible resource. That. We've exhibited their works here at the museum before. Works Good. from that collection.
1: Oh, it's fabulous. But the end of the story was he was so totally banged his head in the parking oh, lot no. that
0: we met the morning in the emergency room of the hospital.
3: Well you know um two of the well we ended up selling two bottles that have a Pittsburgh origin story
4: sure. um,
3: that belong to the um, uh, um Richard um to the Mellon family That's um, nice, um nice. bottles of Overholt Rye made in 1909 oh, nine, right. when the Overholt Distillery was owned by the Mellons together with Henry Clay Frick.
1: Right. Oh no kidding. Right. Okay.
3: Those barrels eventually were put during prohibition into the Mellon basement and after prohibition they were bottled privately with labels that identified the year of their creation. Um, Those bottles remained in the Mellon basement until the death of Richard Mellon Scaife, um, in which several cases were found, and a generous support of the museum bought a a lot of them at auction at Christie's. He eventually donated one bottle to us, and when we had two competitive bids at $14,000, he generously gave an additional bottle so we could sell two of them, at that price.
0: I remember reading this story. It's a great story. You have some, such a good sense of connection where all of this activity makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's wonderful. I really congratulate you on, on being, I don't know, um, what what would you call it?
3: <laughs> and, you know, I'm not a lifelong museum professional. I'm an entrepreneur by profession and I've only been running a museum for the last two and a half years, so maybe mm-hmm. that's so ability you, to see new business opportunities to support the arts.
1: Hey, That's all, all, good. All, all, you, all you all you need is another umpteen billion dollars, and you can run for president. <laughs> <laughs>
3: all right, maybe yeah. I should start a distillery.
1: <laughs>
0: that would be too. Well, that, we have a lot of those craft distilleries going. We just interviewed the people at the Rogue Distillery in, in um, uh, Oregon, Oregon, and uh, and we. Yeah, they're doing great guns too. It's um, yeah. yeah, so it's a, it's an ongoing in the support thing.
3: we got from some of the large companies, which is really important. But it's also meaningful that we sold bottles from many of the startups, including groups like Kentucky Owl, um, whose founder Dixon Deadman was at the auction, and there are a number of smaller um, distilleries that are um, creating. You know important profiles. Of course, they all hope to be the next Pappy Van Winkle, and
4: <laughs> we've
3: enjoyed selling their products at the auction. Peerless is another one. Um, they're they're starting up like um, like nobody's business in Kentucky. Rabbit Hole is another. Oh
1: yeah, Rabbit Hole, I yeah. Well, w- w- when's when's the date next year?
3: Well, we're waiting to find out the specific date of the Bourbon Beyond oh, okay. Festival, well, and then it right. will be the night before that begins.
1: Okay, great.
3: I think, actually, I do know it. Let me see. Hang on. I could answer this question again. I, I think I have it in my calendar, don't we, Sherry? Or maybe uh, I can't remember if they've Can I follow up
2: it. with
1: you on that? Sure, please sure. do. Sure, we Let me do that. Yeah, and we'll put, we'll, we'll put, a, we'll put a news item on, on our website.
2: website. Yeah.
3: Let me answer the question again if you want. Um next year's event is again on the eve of bourbon and beyond and so the Art of Bourbon third annual auction will be on Thursday, September seventeenth.
0: Okay. Wow. Well, yeah, I still keep wanting to know whatever happened to Sean Brock's private collection of bourbon.
1: He probably drank it all.
0: No, he he went he had a um what do you call it? Um,
1: he had a barrel of Peppy, we know that.
0: No, but I mean he, he had an intervention and uh went on the wagon. And so he sold his collection, which apparently was rather valuable because he bought some kind of a bizarre Italian c- car, you know, one the, the multiple thousands of dollars for the car.
1: Maybe a Lamborghini, huh?
0: Not that better than that. More better obtuse. Than that, okay. <laughs> yeah. Even more <laughs> or, obtuse. More, more obscure, what I was going to have to say. <laughs> well, keep your eye out for things from um, Sean Brock's <laughs> collection then.
3: Well, that's great. <laughs> Is it, you, you're not alone. Everyone seems to have a Pappy Van Winkle story, and we're excited to be part of part of it ourselves.
0: Right. Well, it's been a delight talking to you, and um, uh, thanks for setting this up. Um, thank you, Sherry. Um, yeah, thank you Sherry, all. Sherry, thank you for setting it up. We would love me. to
3: see you. I think it sounds like we have a lot of um, food and beverage friends in common. Oh, we hope yeah. to welcome you to the speed someday.
0: Hey, let's do that. That would be a good idea. We've never been there, but not in the summer.
3: Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, September seventeenth. That's cool. It that starts to cool good. off a little bit by then. That
0: sounds good. I'll look forward to it, and thank, thank you. you again. Both. Bye bye. Bye
1: bye. Well, there you go. We hope we hope you enjoyed this liquid bonanza, and remember, we'll have a another liquid bonanza again next week. In the meantime, we hope you'll have a wonderful Christmas holiday, just as we intend to, and uh, as we always do when we we finish up the program. What do we say, sweetheart?
0: Bye-bye.